Hello, sir. Hello, Rob. How you doing? I am. Uh, I'm doing well overall. I'm a longtime listener, first time caller of the show, uh, as I mentioned right before we started. So very grateful to be here. It is an honor to have you. Um, it is a total mix. Although you do a podcast for long enough and it, the numbers go up, but it is a total mix on people who have heard the show before. The biggest cool. tell for people, for me, to let me know that you've never heard the show before when I book you on the show is if you say, oh my God, well, I don't really have anything to talk about or uh, should I prepare anything? Those that you say those two things, I know you've never heard this show and you didn't ask me these things, did you? No. No, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I enjoy, really enjoy listening to it on the commute. And I'll say too that uh, you've been doing this for a while, right? Nine years, yeah, on and off. Yeah, almost a decade. Gosh, yeah, I remember graduating and finding the show shortly after, and it was just such a, a balm to that post-grad, what am I doing? And you're like, oh yeah, this everyone goes through this. Yeah, I really, absolutely, I love hearing you say that, bud, and I really appreciate that because that's definitely, first of all, it's what the show was born out of. Um, I just, it would depend on where this show airs, but in and around your episode will be an episode with Daniel and Moan, which I finally got on the podcast, who, um, for those who don't know, did the music, um, or should I say made great music, and I asked if I could steal it and make it part of my creative project. And um, so the intro and outro is is Daniel singing, and uh, he wrote all of it. And I finally got him on the show. And it's so great because that same energy you're talking about of when you first get out and you're trying to figure out what the hell is going to go on next, or maybe even out five, even 10 years, and you're trying to figure out wh- how you fit into everything. Because as much as they try to prepare us for that, that is a tough thing to do. Um and maybe they're bad at it, or maybe it's too hard. But either way, I think we almost all feel ill-equipped when we leave. And um, that album uh, that those songs came from, which is called Punk Philosophy, which you can find on all the platforms and stuff. It's on Apple Music and everything. I definitely urge everyone to go listen to that whole album. But he wrote that in that same time, and that same feeling, right out of school, like, now, now what do we do? Because if unless someone goes, you're coming with me, kid off to the big show like if whatever that means for you and it happens happens. yeah (laughs) of course it does it happens every now and then and i think we maybe too many of us pen too many kind of maybe not even expectations but just hope that that'll be us and so we don't go out of our way to plan whatever the fuck else it's gonna be um and so, yeah, this podcast uh, was was born in that. The album was born in that. And um, I'm honored and, and grateful that more people are finding it like you did right in that time. Because um, that was also, you said 2018, that was when I was kind of back in it again in California. And we were putting out episodes all the time and a lot of volume there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask, because I think this will be maybe good for other people who are listening now who maybe okay. are new, maybe they know you and they don't know the show. If you were to point them in a direction of maybe a couple episodes, and this is not a picking favorites in people, but just episodes maybe that spoke to you then or recently that you could point them to if that's how they're feeling, that kind of, I just got out of school, what the hell do I do? I would listen to uh, the part one, part two, part three with your dear friend. Um, oh, with Brandon, really? Yeah, Brandon. I feel like that gets so personal and about the two of us. I'm like, the show's not even about figuring it out I, anymore, but we're just kind of talking know, man. shit. There's the universal in the, in the specific. That's true. But I really enjoyed those. Um, you had, you had a friend also that I think you were roommates for a while. Who's in LA now. And is a writer, um, his story was really, I'm like terrible with names, dude. Uh, but, Graham Bolin. Yep. Yeah. He's yep, tremendous. A great one. Yeah, I love that dude. And we got into a cool thing on that that I'll point people towards probably about two thirds of the way in where we talked about the idea of being creative and splitting up responsibilities between like a more left side of the brain person. And that conversation that we really dove into there, that keeps coming up in like my personal life all the time. Like that's a very relevant thing right now for me and like all the creatives I'm working with. So I would point to that as well. Let's talk about you, bud. Thanks for all of the love. I appreciate it. And everyone go listen to other it. episodes. But first, finish this one with Trent. Uh, <laughs> where are you from, buddy? 
Yeah, I'm from Gastonia, North Carolina. So that's in, that's the county seat of Gaston County. It's 30 minutes west of Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, very firmly in the foothills, uh, about an hour east of Asheville. And born and raised? You know, no, I was born in Huntsville, Alabama. My parents, Ooh. they, uh, I think this was like 90, 1990, 1991. They, uh, our high school sweethearts, they graduated from UNC Asheville in May, got married in June, and then moved to Alabama in July. And then like four years Where later. Where are they from? They're from Gaston County. They're from Gaston County. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you just got, more... you just got had out of town. That's all. That's and then right, they yeah. brought, they brought you home. <laughs> Yeah, hundred yeah, exactly. percent. If yeah, it were if yeah, we like, were more right. tribal, that's how it would be looked at. Like, oh, they were on the road for kind of an extended time while, yeah. and then they had some. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I do have one awesome younger sister, Morgan. She just turned fifteen in August, so there's a little bit of a gap there. But uh, she kind of gets right like now? a. I uh, on Friday I turned twenty eight. Oh, awesome! Well, happy birthday! Yeah. Just missed it. I'm on the 28th of July, so a little cool. love there. Thanks, Rob. Um, yeah, hundred um, percent. So you're 28; she's 15. That's a hell of a gap. 13 years. Yeah, I was wow. I was a teenager sitting in the hospital when she was born. That is the exact gap between me and my nephew, and it's only because I have such an older sister as well as nine years older than me. So I didn't quite get to 13 but man what is that dynamic like for you growing up for as an only child for like a really long time and then that changed yeah i think about this so much um, i bet as far as my relationship with my sister it's just like pure love she gets like i don't know a uh, a grandparent like type presence but in a like much younger form so i'm just kind of like she the babies have that old soul energy where they just come out like it's clearly someone reincarnated clearly that like they make you believe in that totally yeah man so yeah it's i would say my relationship with her is like just so much love there and being like sometimes a little bit like parent 2.5 um mm, right and like a theme with her that i think comes up with other things is like you know, going through something or having a very specific experience, just this impulse to turn around to the next person who's about to have that experience and be like, Hey, I just did this. Um, here's what's awesome. Here's what you might be able to expect. That's not awesome. And here's how to deal with it on the way. And also, you know, text me if you want to talk about it. (laughs) Is she receptive to uncle brother Trent? (laughs) I'm going to say it that way from now on. Um, she is, she is. And I think because I don't try and like constantly dole out advice. Cause like she gets enough of that. I'm sure already all the time. Right. Um, so I just ask her, you know, how's it going? Is there any, is there anything on your mind that you want to talk about? And either she'd be like, no, I'm good. Or there'll be a long pause and she'd be like, well, right. You kind of play so. therapist, let her, which kind of works. Cause for your background and your soothing tone right now, I'm, I'm getting the vibes for sure. That's what my wife does. So I know, I know the vibes. Ooh. Um, that's awesome, dude. That's really cool to have that. Uh, what, and do you know, uh, the, was she like a total random surprise or was that an intentional, let's have another no, kid man. way later? Yeah. My, my parents were very clear. I mean, like in, in terms that you would explain to a 12 year old, they were like, right, right, right. You're, you're going to, you're about to have a sibling. And we just oh. want you to know that we really wanted Heads to have another kid. Up. Yeah. 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 And, um, it was so like my, my birth was really, really difficult. Some people tell mm. me that's why I'm left-handed. Um, apparently that's a thing. <laughs> But okay. uh, yeah, my mom had like a bunch of health factors going on. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was a, I was a C-section born a month early and they like weren't wow. sure how it was going to play out. Right. That's how and, it goes. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, mom and dad. Everyone little... relax who's listening. It played out. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It all yeah, worked Trent's out. good. Yeah. We're cool. <laughs> he went to school yards. He did great. Okay. Uh, you were saying. Yeah. And then, um, uh, you know, advances in medicine, I suppose, right. were right, of given course. the confidence to be like, well, you know, we're not, we don't feel like we're done being parents. Uh, this one's almost fully baked. So how old were they when they had you? Were they like mid twenties? They were young, dude. They were 25. Uh, no, 24, hey, hey, 25. That's like um, a normal age for human people to make new people. It was for a long time. That was late. For sure. Not that for long sure. ago. I- it's wild. My no, sister was born when my mom was 17. Barely. Word. So it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, 25 is like 
you could you could reasonably have some of your shit together by then and be ready for a kid. Could totally. totally. Let's not yeah, measure I... it against our artist friends. Uh, but you know, you could. They clearly did. Totally. But they totally. also they... didn't rush to make a, another baby because of the complications and all the different stuff. They were like, let's we count ourselves lucky. Trent's okay. Exactly. Yeah. No, that, I think they were very responsible in uh, becoming parents and like making sure it was very intentional. But uh, I just remember turning 25 and be like, this is the year that my parents had me. And I, I feel like that. I still don't know how to do my taxes yet. But were you, your parents, you said they're in high school together. Mine were too, actually. So they're about the same age. Like exactly. Yeah, or yeah, like, yeah. Um, dad was born in 68. Mom was born in 1969. Yeah. Okay. So you know what I I think about sometimes is people whose parents were different ages, like dramatically, mm. like their dad's like 15, 18 years older than their mom. And so sure. it's like, they have those, they have that year twice. <laughs> you and I were both like, wow, 25, wow, 27. That's, I'm, I'm going through it. But then they get to be like, that wow i'm 21 just like my mom was and then 17 years later like this is the year my dad became <laughs> became a wow. parent and i remember how i felt when i was my mom's age now i feel this right so, yeah exactly yeah. we're missing yeah. out man we're missing out we're too conventional um so what uh what is the work like in the family what are they leaving every day to go do are they leaving sure yeah my um my mom uh, it's, this is a long one. So we'll, we'll go sure. through it together. Um, no, mom worked as a, a, a public high school theater arts teacher for nice. like a solid 13 years, took a wow. step back for a while. And now she's back teaching middle school art. Um, she had like, I think close to 10 years of just her own studio practice. Like that was her full-time gig. And I think a combination of wanting to get back in the classroom, wanting to help kids and also, probably retirement benefits and like, uh, she does visual art now and she did theater art then. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And what? she's always been, well, she's always been a visual artist. Yes. Yeah, totally. She, uh, I, the way I understand the story is that there was never any question that she was going to go to college, even though she mm -hmm. was like the first gen college student. Right. Um, and it's since become like the first generation master's degree holder in the family, which is pretty nice. chill. Um, yeah. but the understanding, I think that was set by her dad was like, you're going to go to college, study what you want, but you need to be able to get a job when you get out. And so I think I've never actually talked to her about it, but I wonder sometimes if she was like, I want to be an actor. And then maybe there was a, Hey, what about getting a degree in theater education? Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that happened, you know, love my grandpa and wouldn't be surprised if that was the messaging. Um, Would you, do you still talk to your mom? Oh Yeah. You should ask oh, yeah. her. Yeah. Let me know. Totally. Yeah. I find that stuff fascinating, man. Why we end up doing stuff. I mean, that was where I came from. And I try to explain this to people sometimes in the difference in education, which a lot of the show ends up being about. And in Texas public high school, it felt like you could teach public theater and high school. That was the only next thing. Like, what the fuck else do you do? Like, you sure. go to a state school. Like, I, I'm in Texas, so it would be like UT or Nacogdoches, like SFA or uh, Southwest Texas. Some of these, like, state schools, whichever one you could get into and you could afford to go to. You would go there. You'd get your bachelor's degree in theater and take a bunch of liberal arts shit. And then you would go find a gig and take over for one of the old dying ladies somewhere and take over their theater department and be the young new hip theater teacher yeah. and it's like that was the only career path if you mm. were into theater in high school that i can ever remember anyone promoting no one was like have you thought about going to new york to try to be an actor that wasn't even a thing it was like what if you want to be in right. movies like we didn't even talk about it it's like you could you like theater you could teach theater at the same level you're at now and i think that that's an interesting it's an interesting job to have, but it's also just an interesting cycle to be in. What is it like for you growing up seeing that as what she does? Are you interested in theater versus dance versus like, where do your interests start? Yeah, let's see. I mean, it was always, um, my dad and I were always kind of the stagehands, you know, helping her get ready for things. So, uh, you know, building flats. In. Yeah. Learning how to use a fly system at probably a way too early age. 
<laughs> small so, enough to fly into the <laughs> no i was a pretty heavy kid so i don't think they were ever worried oh, yeah, about me that, too but... i thought <laughs> yeah but uh no from a very early age the sense of uh because my dad you know studied theater too funny there's a parallel there he studied lighting design and i know that oh, that's word. kind of where your school of the arts journey started yeah that's so right. both my parents very firmly in the theater um, their, their summer job when they were in high school, when they couldn't work in their high school theater was, um, there's an amusement park called Carowinds near yeah. the like, yeah, yeah. You know, Carowinds. Yeah. Cool. Apparently it's like in back Charlotte in the 80s, area. Totally. Yeah. Back in the, you know, firmly in the mid eighties, like back to the future time. Right. Um, they were at Carowinds, they would do like full productions, full stage productions, like all singing, all sure. dancing. And that was something you went to go do in late July, North Carolina, because it was air conditioned. Um, Six Flags did the same shit in Texas. You can go to the Six Flags and see like really good shows, like cool, full on, like Broadway level stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that was their gig. My mom at one point was a character. She like put on a character suit and, you know walked around and told kids hello so that's cool. yeah yeah she's always had that like hot like hospitality but not in the like southern hospitality but like a deep i see you let me get you what you want what you need right. hospitality yeah like a theater teacher um <laughs> exactly. let's uh <laughs> so what about yeah. pops you said he had theater training but what was he doing for work Dude, my dad's had such a wild career. Yeah, um, theater training was always in the theater realm, like just building, making, lighting design, you name it. Um, yeah. My, I, The way I understand the story is that they moved down to Alabama. Um, he was doing some like freelance work as a machinist at the time. And then funny enough, in Huntsville, I think there are more PhDs around Huntsville, like per capita than most other cities because there's a lot of like okay. space space program work right. that goes on there and so he started working with a company that was building autonomous drones and this was like and i feel you know okay talking about that because they're not the same ones that are like you know causing problems around the world today these like they never they would always crash that's the story my dad's like yeah we never got them to work <laughs> the end right but i'm from the back when that was bad and I, that we were bad at it. So I didn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I like can that. guarantee you this did not contribute to anything bad happening. Totally advocate responsibility based on our incompetence. <laughs> yeah. I think my dad was really good at his part. Um, oh, I'm sure. It just, but, you know, uh, technology evolves, of course. And it's so funny now, like, um, I started flying drones as a hobby with him mm. when I was like in high school and he was just like, this stuff's crazy. Do you understand like how hard this was? And the in the nineties, you know, but right. So his work picked up from that. I think it was a pretty easy pivot to make in the Southeast to go from working in Huntsville on trying to get drones to fly to, uh, theme parks. And so he was working on yeah. like motion control platforms for Disney Orlando. He worked on the Lion King Broadway musical. Um, it's like a turntable guy, the turntable. And then some like, I it's bet. Complex no, I'm simplif stuff. oversimplifying it. Oh of yeah, course. no, no. But he's um, what the guy, the people at the top who have to pay for it would call the turntable guy. And he'd be like, and, he has um, advanced engineering training. He's incredibly intelligent. But like, yeah, right. Turntable guy. We need him over here. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think my dad's attitude was like, I'll be your turntable guy all day long. Yeah. A hundred percent. Mouse has got deep pockets. And. uh yeah, because he, from what I understand, right, came from a, you know, working class family, like had right. to grow up kind of quick, a little bit rougher neighborhood from the stories he's told me. Um, my grandparents on his side both worked in a, a home light factory. Home light makes like chainsaws, string trimmers. That's what they worked on. But nice. I think he wanted a different path. And so was like always super gifted and mechanically inclined. And like right. creative in general, but that's like, you know, that's his uh, superpower. And so he was able to take that and run with it. And so he did a lot of traveling too, like in my early years. So I grew up partially, like my earliest memories are like in Long Beach and in Osaka, Japan, because he was, wow. we were traveling with him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. I was just watching a documentary about Okinawa. 
And I know that's not the exact same place, but Japan's not gigantic. And they were talking about uh, how the people over there, and I think this this is relevant to what we're talking about, but the the Okinawa in particular has the highest concentration of people who live over 100, like than almost any other place in the world, despite what happened like in World War II and all the different stuff that's still generation. Like those people are still... They remember that <laughs> they were yeah. like those people who are a hundred right now. And, yeah, like- uh, it's, it's wild to me, um, that what mostly they, so much of what they found is they were like, just don't get stressed out and try to find a way to enjoy life. And that, that's what they often find with people who live long. It's like, just don't be in a fucking bad mood. It'll kill you. And it really seems, first of all, your disposition and temperament seems like just very chill. I don't know if you're like this all the time because I'm just really getting to know you now. But you seem like just a super chill dude. Just in this podcast, I'm getting like an ASMR vibe from your tone. It's like a lot. No, it might just be a nice microphone. I won't give you too much credit. But and it sounds like what I appreciate about your parents is that they really probably inspired you with their choices to not take things for granted and to be very creative in what they're doing, what they're spending their time on when it would maybe even be easier under certain circumstances, just like go a more conventional route, you know? Yeah, Rob, I was almost a, a business major at UNC Chapel Hill, like had applied, had gone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no. I mean, I feel the same way, but no, no shade to the business majors out there, but like, I just got kind of caught up in the thing where it's like, all right, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, my parents the whole time were like, we support you no matter what. And are you sure you don't want to go to art school? What the fuck is that? Right? It's usually the reverse. Yeah, you've heard enough episodes of this podcast and know that that's not what the fuck people normally say. No, man. So very lucky in that regard. And uh, yeah, mainly them and some friends also in high school being like, I don't know, dog, like you could go to business school, but. That's not what we're seeing. What about what about theater versus dance versus different performing stuff? Like, how do you find yourself where you find yourself? Sure. Why I mean, aren't you a to painter? All... I hopefully still have plenty of time left. We'll see. Um, hey, hell yeah. yeah! I love that attitude. Yeah, man. I mean, watched was watching movies all the time. Like, that's still one of the things my dad and I enjoy doing together. Is just find something, let's go watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, so very early on, uh, I was always the kid, like, I think I saw a meme a few weeks ago, but I, you know, seven years old walk out after seeing like the crocodile hunter movie or whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm the crocodile hunter now. Yeah. Um, Just let it inform what... your personality for a couple months. <laughs> totally. A hundred percent. I watch too much cake boss and I sound way more Hoboken than I need to. Totally. Yeah. I mean, to this day, you know, I just finished the bear on Hulu and I'm like, I want to learn how to make a really good cannoli. Um, Yeah. Right. But I I think what was going on there was just internalizing the themes and stories going on and Mm -hmm. kind of taking from my mom's just like super wide creativity, attention to detail, taking from my dad, the importance of, of like first and foremost creativity. And then the importance of like, yes, art is magic. And also to make the magic, you got to know the technical side. Or at least be like conversational with it. Um, Yeah. So those started to coalesce and then do the thing a lot of kids do. Like you're in high school, you got someone's got a camera, you've got a camera, you've got a project, like let's make a video. And like really started leaning into it and be like, oh, I can do this. And this is an option for me long term because my parents like, you know, going to Carowinds, they, uh, the dancers and actors that would come in for those shows I mentioned were school of the arts students, like on their summer off. Aha. And so even though they didn't, they hadn't gone there, they knew like, those are the school of the arts kids. Like they're really hardcore. Um, even if the show was like endless summer on ice or something. So but, the reputation uh, was already in your head from a young time of like, well, that place is serious. Totally. That totally. makes a lot of sense. What do you think was your, this is something I've been asking people recently. So if you, you graduate in 2018. So when you get there, 
four years earlier, right? Yeah. You have an expectation of what you think this school is going to do for you. You know, you're going to either borrow money or spend your own money or use your parents' money or promise to pay it back later, whatever. You're going to, this is huge fucking choice to make as flippant as some young people can be in that position. But uh, you made it and you you had an expectation of that will be worth And then we fast forward four years later and now it's May and it's 2018. How are you feeling about what your expectations were? Obviously, we're, and I don't think even an 18-year-old is so naive to think it's not going to change and you're not going to, something's going to be different. But what what is the difference between you at, were you 18 when you started or 17? Um, would have been, would have been 18 because uh, I spent a year at UNC Wilmington beforehand. Ooh, okay. Yeah. That's an important yeah. part of the story. Yeah. I joke sometimes that that was my gap year, but like, you know, Wilmington's its own college uh and yeah it's also this, at the beach so college at the beach is still it's still college i guess but it's at the beach for sure for sure uh yeah i the story behind that was that by the time i had had my uh you know change of heart around it all it was too mm. late to apply to school of the arts and also i didn't really have a foundation besides the knowledge of like i feel like i could go do that and be successful or like find whatever my version of success is by getting the education there but it was too late at that point to apply. So, you know, Wilmington, uh, I applied over the summer. Never too like, late sure. for the beach, baby. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they're like, you want to start in late August? Sure, dog. They're like, shit, man, we just started accepting applications like last week, bro. So you're good. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. What were you doing there? What did you do at Wilmington? Did you like it? A lot of, sh- a lot of shit by myself, dude. Like, Really? You just rolling third- around solo? Yeah, not always by choice. Um, like I said, you know, would never, would never try to dunk on another college that people go to, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't my scene. I really appreciated that I was able to get the foundational classes of like, this is what a C stand is. This is the French new wave. Let's watch the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, you know, those things. That's a good way to get ahead for sure. I mean, it's not like you. Okay. So that's the case that I've been building, but I want to get back to that in one second. So answer my other question, because that piece okay. of information is important. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. The expectations of intro versus outro, like, where are you? Did you feel like, uh, and I give you a couple of touchstones, like you've heard other people in the podcast, but for those listening, like some people are like, they get out and they're like, oh shit, I just wasted all that time. Obviously that's an extreme feeling that not many people share. And I don't get many people who want to do a podcast about the school that feel that way. But I've talked to people who feel that way for sure. Of like, man, I should have just moved to LA or I should have just whatever the fuck. Sure. Um, then there are people who have super right on track. They're like, that's what I thought it would do. I learned pretty much everything I want to learn. And I was on to the next stop trying to figure it out. And then there's a lot of yeah. people kind of in between. But like, where do you, where did you feel? Dude, I feel like I... um yeah. Made out so lucky. Like I went in with pretty high expectations of, I think this is what I'm going to get from this education. And like, after walk, like, yeah, after graduating, it was like, wow, that was even better and cooler and more informative of my own growth than I thought it ever would be. Um, Hell yeah, dude. That's a glowing yeah. review. And I like, I'm not doing anything I'm not doing what I studied right now, right? Like I'm not, I was in the cinematography program in the school of film, not a camera assistant, not a camera operator, um, not doing that thing in New York or LA, which like went straight to DP. (laughs) No, not that either. That's the funny thing. Yeah. But, um, I think it speaks to the training, at least that I received, um, of it's more of like skill set and mindset. And like, you know, if you can, uh, round up, 12 of your best friends and make your second year film with like $2 and the equipment that the school gives you like that, that gives you some really good tools, I think. Yeah, that's true. So what are you doing now? Man? Yeah. It's, I, I laugh because I'm, I usually uh, don't my jump desk. that quickly. We're like only 40 minutes in or something, <laughs> but like, Oh, uh, you know, brought it up. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm laughing because my like work desk is at a co-working space right now and they always do these tours. So they'll bring people in to like, look at this room that my desk is in. They'd be like, what do you do, Trent? And every day I'm like, man, I don't even know. But um, to give you some context, uh, during 2020, I got my drone pilot's license. So kind of building off of that. 
thing that was a hobby for my dad and I in high school. That's been like a, I would hold it similar to like a lot of actor friends that you have who are like bartending. Um, uh-huh. It's kind of my bartending job right now. Um, and I'm at least able to like use a camera for a thing. Right. But when I was in the film school, they started like 2016, 2017, they started offering immersive media classes. So that's like virtual reality, augmented reality, you name that type stuff. And this was like, as all the the tech was blowing up. Right. Um, And I was like, I think that's what I need to do. Because that's a really great idea. Talk about magic and had so much support, um, especially like Bob Keen, who's still in the production design department. Like just really, I don't know. He helped me so much. And the Dean at the time, she was also really supportive um, and trying to like make, make a hole. Cause I was like skipping cinematography classes every now and then to go play with the like VR stuff. Right. So working towards being able to do even more and more of that in the career right now, you know, it's, um, it's funny that the VR medium, the way it's evolved right now, there's so much focus on games, which is like, you know, I'm not going to shit on anyone making VR games, but I like feeling the emotional impact and like, you know, starting to cry, wearing a VR headset, watching this beautiful experience, uh, as a student and wanting to be like, how do we do more of that? You know what I think about VR? I think VR is the only way to save the theater. Word. That's my theory. I put this together recently. Um, So the theater doesn't work on a screen. That's the whole point. Everybody knows that. It is a separate thing. And it has always been a separate thing. Um, forever and here's the thing that's wild i was just i lose track of who i talked to on this show so you maybe can tell me later who i just talked to this about uh talked to about this but i was just talking to somebody about the dynamic between high school and college slash professionalism back in the day there was a drama club and there was av club and they were clubs that weren't even classes you could be in clubs you could have a club class period and it would kind of work like electives or you could have a fully outside of class club. And they were two totally different groups of kids. And I'm talking like eighties AV club was like back then. And they were working with the projectors. They were working with whatever technology they had at the time. Maybe they had a, a, a campus radio station. They, they did that. The announcements, that was all their shit. Then yeah. For reasons I fucking will never understand, as the media technology exploded, the availability of media education in public high school in America went the fuck away. And in place of it, mostly everywhere, you found expanded theater programs that would do things like Broadway-level musicals for thousands of dollars. They would get huge Mm. funding like football team money. And which is great. I love the theater. I grew up in these programs. I ain't shitting on that. But the idea that we all are training for years, starting in some of us like sixth grade, when we start doing elective art stuff, you could take theater from like sometimes elementary school, but almost consistently sixth grade all the way through high school to the point where you're like, damn, I've been doing this for seven years. Like, this is what I do. This is who I am. And then you go to graduate and everyone's like, well, don't don't get a job in the theater. That's the dumbest shit you could ever do because it doesn't pay. And that's a terrible idea. And you're like, well, then why the fuck did you let me major in it for seven years? That's so stupid. And then they're like, well, you know what you should do? We can't wait to see you in a movie. And like, I don't know how to be in a movie. Who makes where we make a movie? This school doesn't teach movie class. A lot of stuff is changing. And if you live in a cool area, some of this is different. But consistently, theater programs are everywhere and media programs are not. Bringing this back to the VR thing, the only way to smooth that out is to marry the idea of media production and theater. The reason why theater cannot ever make as much money is because you can't have as many ticket holders. That's it. You make a movie and you can have a you can have 400 million dollars worth of ticket holders in like yeah. not that long. 
you can get that account. Like, and you can make that money back now. You don't have to run the show for 10 years. Theater, you got what? You're lucky if you got a thousand seats in the house, unless it's this arena. And then you're, are you doing theater for an arena? Is that, you know, you can't, you can't do theater for 10,000 people. Right. Much less $400 million worth of ticket holders. Unless you could put on a headset that wasn't uncomfortable and get the live theater experience of sitting in the front fucking row watching someone like Brian Cranston, who's both a theater and film god that you respect, play in Beckett or some other esoteric thing that most people wouldn't even know. you got to take all the ease and all the comfortability and put that together with the uncomfortable thing in just a little sliver so that people can digest it. And theater has become so esoteric and so that little sliver is the whole fucking thing that no one can get to it, no one can afford it, and then they get in the seat, it goes way over their fucking head half the time. And that's why it's been dying. So I think what you want to do and what you're interested in. And that's why School of the Arts is such a cool ass place because you got the people who are interested in your shit that you just talked about and the theater people on the same fucking campus. And that's the shit they should really be focusing on. Do that. Make really dope VR theater and go save the fucking business because that that is the only way to do it. The more we are addicted to screens, give them a fucking screen, give them two right in front of their eyes with headphones and a little haptic yeah. feedback thing, whatever the fuck, like bro, that's the future. That's the future a hundred percent. And you can do augmented, there's, a, there's ways to do it. You can go to virtual concerts now and it's pretty fucking cool. It's not that far away. I just watched Blink-182 that I cannot afford to go see. I have a nice movie, like a TV producing job and I make nice, yeah. pretty nice money. I can't afford to go see these fucks, but I watched them in the front row. Yeah. Wow. Above 4k with my nice AirPods in. And I was like on a meta quest too. not even a nice $3,500 Apple. Look at our Robocop thing. That one yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah, it's okay, it's so this fascinating. This is exciting to you, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and I one of your guests recently, they in a way I never thought even thought of before, but they boiled down like, yeah, theater is the magic of the present moment and live performance. And it's like, yeah, put put that in people's living rooms. And uh, not only are we watching a performance now, but there's interactivity. Like there's some really cool work happening right now. Um a group called Tender Claws out on the out on the West Coast like they're doing live interactive VR performances. And like, so they're interacting with people, you know, could be on the other side of the country, could be in a different country, but there's like an interactive element where, yeah, there, there's some crazy stuff going on in the back end, And like, uh, you know, the actors having to learn how to use the controllers and like be very like, have a high degree of finesse to be like, all right, uh, select this prop, uh, place it here. And it just looks like a magic trick happening in wow. in real time. And like so much performance capture, because for a while, right, performance capture was the like Andy circus, you know, put all the dots on your face. Yep. All right, yep. it's going to take a month to render all this. Right. And now with game engines, it's damn near instant. So I'm, I'm so, and it's all so early still, like I'm so excited. And then you pair that with the AI stuff and it gets really interesting, man, because when yeah. we don't have to come up with it all anymore, that cuts down on the time of it getting made into a thing. I was watching something on video games recently, and I don't know what video game it was. I, I think maybe it was Cyberpunk. It doesn't matter. It was some video game where they had um, to translate the game into a billion languages, right? And the mission, like the the game, had to be dubbed and stuff like that. But they didn't just want to dub it; they wanted the lips to match for mm. every language. So they didn't just want to have it be like, I'm speaking in English and then you hear your language. We recorded it with another guy or whatever. They do that. But they're like, but we can't afford to facially map 20 voice actors yeah. per character. So they developed an AI engine that does the mouth. So that the, the facial captures the original actor. But the AI can like make the shape of the mouth based on the new language and they don't have to photo capture anybody. Totally. Yeah, that's 
it's it's magic. I mean, I have a lot of strong feelings about what machine learning should and shouldn't and can and can't be used for. But like, yes, yes, I've agreed. seen I've seen the cheat sheet that like animators use. Like, if they're making this sound, this is what the math looks like. Mm-hmm. And so, if you feed a computer, and animators that and have been hunt- doing that forever, right? Yeah, and you feed a computer that you feed a computer what it sounds like for you know three thousand hours of that. Absolutely, it'll turn out your cyberpunk in you know whatever language you want. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it is both like scary and exciting. It's more fun to be excited than it is to be scared. So I spend more time being excited um, because I like to have fun. So I don't like being scared. Uh, There, there are definitely drawbacks. And I think obviously we're seeing that in the strikes now and how much that creative stuff, because the AI is built on creative property and it is based on the likeness of human people, somebody. And um yeah, it's absolutely uh, an important thing that we need to pay close attention to. But I mean, it's like any other thing that we harness, right? It's like literally the Oppenheimer plot line. It's like we got this brand new thing that is super powerful. And it's so cool that we have it because it can do all sorts of really useful things. We should also be super fucking careful about who has this new thing because there's people out there who don't have the best intentions. That's just what it is. Yeah. What What's the line from Oppenheimer, right? It's like, there's a very small but non-zero chance that this will end the world. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's been true for several things that have come up. And AI might be the biggest one ever that's that's on the horizon. But um, with that coming back to, like I said, trying to do our silly little plays with it, which is where our, um, you know, expertise ends. Um, I really do think that that that's the key. And I think that that is something that unfortunately, in my experience, is a very I'm a very technical person, as you probably have heard at this point. Um, but like, I'm the one who knows how the microphones work. I used to get called. I haven't said this on podcast in a long time. I'm going to say it again because it's hilarious to me. I used to get called out of Bob Francisconi's mass class, which while I was at school was considered maybe one of the most important classes you're taking while you're here. By his wife, the dance teacher, Molly, who would come from her studio because the stereo wasn't working. And she knew that one kid used to be in DMP. And twice she came to his room while we were doing stuff and opened the door. She was the only one who could do that. She was his wife. And she would be like, hey, Rob, the stereo's broken. And I would be like, yeah, I'll, okay, I'll be right back. And I would like hobble over and try to fix the thing. So this is just to give you the bigger context of I've spent my whole life around performing creatives they are largely not familiar with technology. Some of them don't know how their fucking iPhones work. Some of them do. Some of them don't. And she was an older lady. I'd be careful about that too. She was not someone who maybe always did. But this was a stereo from 1986. So whatever. Uh, point being, the group of people who are making the thing I we are talking about saving are not always the how do we use a machine to solve the problem kind of people. Their brains don't work that way. That's okay. They think of other helpful ways. I've always been a where's the machine to sure. do this. And I was I was raised by very mechanical people. And so I've always been that kind of person. And I'm always like, how can we use that to improve it? It's hilarious to me that the film and the theater business doesn't overlap more than it does. Hasn't forever like even on schoolyards campus just in the last 10 years they've really started to like let's have official faculty assigned to the way these people get along let's uh you know mm. let's intentionally put these things together when for years it was like you can use the actors if you want and so it it's a weird energy and i don't understand why these two cuz you like 20 seconds away from being you're the same they're the same but they can't even call a gobo by the same fucking thing. And one thing, it's a lighting template and the other goes on a stand. They're not even on the same page on what shit is called, much less trying to work together to save each other's jobs. Yeah. And that's, that's what excites me about places like the school of the arts. Um, it's the incubator for There's a chance the, to and, teach him. Totally. But yes, also I very much agree with the sentiment. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's. Do funny. you think yeah. that's part of what you are interested in doing with VR? Like, what part of that and the AR VR thing and that advanced technology? What well, What do you want to do with it? Because you said an experience, but what What is an experience that you would make? Yeah, well, I'll I'll give you what I'm doing now and hope to keep doing, and then I'll give you my like kind of larger platform I try to stand on because I feel Hell like yeah. I've. I think I remember being like a junior at school and being like, I don't think the job I'm going to have exists yet. And that's okay. And also that's wild. Um, so right now I interview folks, families, sometimes nonprofits and sit down with them with an immersive camera and conduct like a life life story interview. So if it's like an older family member or someone in their, you know, their wisdom years, um, both getting their story because that's really hard for families sometimes, I think. Right. And then also recording it. Sometimes it's just a video. They just want a video. That's cool. But other times in a like more immersive 180, like stereoscopic 3d video. So that however many years down the line, their maybe grandkids could put on a headset and feel like they're sitting across from that person. They just showed that shit at the Apple keynote. Amazing. Right. So that was, yeah, that was one thing. It was like the dad recording the birthday party, right? With the, like the scuba mask or were you talking yeah, about a new recent? I think so. Know? I don't know. It No, it was the recent one. They just, I just watched the one from September. This is like the 18th. It was like a week ago. Oh, they sick. announced the iPhone well, 15. I need to watch that. Bro, they, they got, they put on the headset and they watch a video of like grandma. And it's the whole fucking thing that you just said. Exactly. I'm not even going to repeat it. It was that, it was that exact yeah. technology. Me and my wife went, Oh shit. Like excited, but also a little bit like, man, that's fucking Black Mirror. A hundred percent. That is that episode of Black Mirror where it just like you get stuck in the memories and you live your life rewatching everything instead of making anything new, of course, is the scary downward slope of that. Being able to live in a memory that surreally. Yeah. Especially if you experience tragedy. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think there's a huge responsibility. You know, if you're, if you're walking people into that space, like you gotta be a really fucking good steward of that person and their story. Well put. Um, I think folks that I've talked with, I'm very like almost first thing that comes out of my mouth is like, this is your story and your words. I just want to help facilitate and like bring in this crazy looking robot camera. Um, so that it's not just a voicemail and that's the only thing your family has left of you or, Um, spoke with someone recently, they had like young grandkids. I was like, Hey, um, what do you want to make sure that they hear from you? Like what, what's something that you want to be sure to pass on to them? I'm going to, I'm going to leave the room, but I'm going to leave the camera rolling. And like, I had, you know, brought that up a couple of days before. So they were ready for it, but man, like in the edit, in the edit bay, sitting down and watching that back, this guy's like looking directly into the camera, talk to his like grandson, a decade in the future, pretty much. I'm just like, wow, that's really powerful. So being able to create that every day at work for you is like the fucking second act finale of interstellar where you just fucking weep like (laughs) Matthew McConaughey and everybody's like, fuck you. And I love you. And it's just like, God damn, man, are you made of stone? um, It's, um, but that's like, it's not every day, you know, I've got my bartending drone job. Of course Uh, you're droning, droning on. But that is my dream long term is to be able to do that work on a pretty regular basis, because as soon as I kind of knew, like, all right, you can play video games with this. And, you know, through presence, through like, quote unquote, tricking people's reptile brains into presence, Mm -hmm. if you if you use it responsibly, which I think we always should, and you're a good steward, then you can create some really emotionally impactful, positive experiences for people, because that's what it is. Like you're giving people a memory. Thanks, Rob. It is. It is beautiful. And it's super cool. And it's a super, I'm not just adding super to things. I have a bad habit of that, but I am telling you that I think it has tremendous value to spend your time on something like that. And here's where I think my wife gets a little more nervous about stuff like that than I do. I'm not so scared about it for a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't worry so much about other people. I think about myself and I recognize that other people Man, they, there's a lot of people out there that struggle with all kinds of different shit. And there's a bunch of things in my life that I love that I know make other people's lives worse. I like alcohol. I don't have a problem with it. I know it fucks other people up to a point where it ruins their whole goddamn life. But I don't want them to take it away from me because they can't 
or don't have a good situation. And I feel that way about a lot of stuff. That's where I start to feel very libertarian where I'm like, I know I get it. And your relationship to those things, those substances, those activities may be complicated, may be negative, but uh, mine are positive. And it actually enriches my life to be able to like play Grand Theft Auto. And it doesn't like rot my brain and make me want to go outside and beat up hookers and like steal cars. So um, I can discern the difference. And I'm more like, I hope people don't go down a slippery black mirror slope, but I would rather Trent make this for me because I'm not going to abuse it. I'm going to use it to have a positive experience that was otherwise impossible before you made it possible. And I think that that's really cool. I've got loved ones that are gone now. My wife's got, you know, her grandmother passed just a couple of years ago and Hmm. very important to her. And I I cannot imagine what it would be like for her to be able to just sit at, at the poker table as it would be for them again with a headset on, I don't think that's a negative thing. Um, but I'm with you, man. I think it's like, how do you, how do you properly develop that stewardship? And then without being while respecting that libertarian idea of like, look, it's your footage. do whatever you want to do. We made you think it's your thing. It's your grandma, whatever. But at the same time, how do you regulate? How do you help make sure that it's not like, but don't plug in your headset and put it on plugged in and sit on your couch for the next three days missing grandma like get up get a drink go eat live your life like how do you do you have any responsibility as the person making that possible like you said to like how do you develop that and not infringe on people's like liberty or privacy or whatever it's a big question you don't have to have an easy answer i don't expect one it is no I, i appreciate the thoughtfulness and the depth of the question Maybe this is a good answer. Maybe not. Um, hey, I think man, I bet you're going to spend a lot of time thinking about this. So don't rush to answer it well yeah. now. I think relationship with the person is what will inform how I handle that. Right. And being mm. able to because if I'm sitting across from people's family members trying to like, all right, they just said this and then they were born this year. So maybe I should ask about like if I'm doing that math in my head, I think there's a similar game game, quote unquote, to be played uh, with assessing is a person that's coming to me to commission this likely to fall prey to that or are they going to be the person right yeah i will be thinking about this a lot rob but it's i mean the good news is i feel like most of the folks almost every single person i've ever given any kind of vr demo to and that was my job for like nine months i was at this Mm -hmm. startup out in san francisco and i was that was part of my job was to give people demos most people are like they have the experience and they're like, cool. And they keep going, but it's getting more and more possible every day for that black mirror side to exist. I'm sure. Um, you know, I think the big think- difference is talking to somebody like you at all. Cause one day I think it'll be a thing where they don't need your help to make the thing. At yeah. some point they'll yeah. be able to make the thing by themselves and totally. live in it all without any consult, without any, and that's where it starts to get dangerous is when you put every single tool into the amateur hand. I mean, you know, like you start handing out katanas to every single person. Someone's going to chop their damn fingers off because they don't know how to hold the fucking thing. Same, yeah. We have the same problem with guns where it's like you start giving guns to everybody, people going to get shot. Like this is what's going to happen. And... <laughs> I, you know, it's tough to regulate because you always have to work back, right? I've said since the beginning of this conversation, you have very, you seem like a very empathetic, compassionate person. I think it's great that you're doing work like this. It's great. Awesome. I, tr- I would trust you to do something like this for me, but that's personal. That's based on you. If anybody, is there now a qualification to be like Trent in order to get Trent's job? You have to, in order to be the person who gives this experience or regulates it for people, do they have to meet a certain criteria? You know, it's like, cause that's always the step back. Cause it's like, all right, well, we'll just trust Trent to make sure everybody's cool. Like, okay, great. Cause Trent's great. But what happens if Trent quits and Kevin takes his job and Kevin sucks and there's no rules in place because he's malicious and, or he don't give a fuck or whatever. That's when it starts to be tough. But again, I come back to, I want it. I want it to happen. And I kind of trust myself to get it figured out. But you've yeah. got to, there's got to be some responsibility. I think it's, it's tough. 
but it's good work and it's important work. And I think that's really cool that you're doing that. What does that look in a bigger way for you? I mean, I don't know who if who you work for or what how you do it now, but like, would you like have your own service that you offer people that's in that realm? Or would it be like, I'd love to get hired at Apple and be their interactive VR family guy? What I, you know, like what what do you think about that? Totally. I am wide open to whatever. I'm not even sure is an option right now. As it right. as it exists currently, I think it makes the most sense doing it as me, Trent, for some of the reasons that you mentioned already. Mm, agreed. Um, I think I think people can feel intention and like, am I gonna do my level best to walk people through all of it in a really authentic, compassionate way? Versus like, give me some money, I'll make a 3D video of your grandma. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Although that should be one of your promos. Do at yeah, least one like that. That'll work yeah, yeah. on a fringe amount that you'll be <laughs> glad that you collected. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. It'd be like yeah. you know. At first, we were nervous because that promo, but then we dove deeper. Like, oh, he's cool, and we appreciate that he's funny. So, totally. Yeah, I, uh, I want to hire that guy too. Maybe <laughs> just to cut my lawn, but also I want to hire him. Rob, you sure you don't want a VR video, of your grandma? Nah, but just keep mowing. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I, I think about this a lot. I mean, it's still early days. Like I get maybe right, one, right. two clients a year right now, but it's right. really special when it happens. I think about the eventual and what I'm growing towards is like, that could be my full-time gig. Maybe I'm not even the person full-time. There are a lot of really talented, knowledgeable, qualified documentarians who, as I'm sure you know, documentary work is not the, not always the most lucrative. So being able to kind of give them uh, give them a space to use that talent in a in an unconventional way that's also helping families. Like I would love to love to be a job creator. Right now, there's only one job for it right now. But long term, I've thought about like what's the day where an Apple or a Meta says we'd like to buy your company? Yeah, for sure. And I don't know know what I think it is. I think you're right. I think the what they're going to want to do is they're going to want to eliminate you. They may want to put you in some other position, but the idea that you're going to go to their house and do it, they want, they don't care about that part of it, the way that you and I just talked about it. And that's part of the problem. They want to put all of it in the hands of the user and let them determine, make whatever memory you want on the fly. Oh my God, I just realized grandma's here and blah, blah, whatever. Let's do it. I got my iPhone 19. Let's just shoot it right now. And I do think it's no matter what, as long as this becomes the thing that you are focusing on, that you're spending your time on, that you're, you're putting your resources into and building something one way or another, whether they buy your company or whether they just go, we need what you know. So we need you over here and we're willing to pay you this to be here, whatever. That value that you create in yourself will get recognized when it's like the wild wild, like wild west about what you're doing you know like this this genre this specific thing of of vr memories ar immersive uh you know media and stuff like that is still like you said it's like you and like 50 other people are even trying to figure this out and so at some point they're going to be like they're, they've got to constantly be trying to build teams of people who have a better understanding of this. Cause like I said, dude, that woman had that stereo in her dance studio for 30 years before I got there. She had plenty of opportunity to learn how it worked and she didn't, she wanted me to do it and they're going to want you to do it. That is, that's what's going to happen. You're going to be the geek who was into it before everybody else that they're like, Oh shit. Trent's the guy. Cause he's way ahead of us. There ain't nothing wrong with that. I tell everybody I know, if you can be the one person who knows how something works, if you if you work in a new office and you notice that everyone hates the copier, learn how to use the copier. Get better at it than everybody else. You you will never get fired. But we can't get rid of him. Who's going to change the toner? Yeah. Uh, when you were telling your mask story earlier, yeah, I was at least glad to hear that like you took your mask off before you went to fix the AV system and weren't. Um, I went in character. It's probably what Bob would have yeah. wanted. I probably would have gotten a better grade. Oh my um, gosh. But yeah, the um, 
And to that idea of like an Apple or a Meta coming, I, as it stands right now, who knows what anyone would do in that situation. But as it is right now, I would want to say like, nah, fam, but let me do this because I'm I'm not a part of that machine. And like, that's why this is working right now. But who knows? I appreciate yeah, I that wanna... instinct. And I, um, depending on what deal came your way, I would, I, I would absolutely respect that choice. I think um, at this point, I, like I said, I'll just reiterate that I'm glad you're doing this kind of work. I think this kind of work is really important. I think it just confuses and even makes uncomfortable some people, frankly. And that's why it doesn't move quicker and doesn't have more resources. And I got to yeah. give it to Meta. Honestly, on making the quest to an affordable sure. headset that started showing up in regular people's houses, great yeah. move. They took a hit on that. If people don't know, um, you know, uh, basically Facebook now Meta bought Oculus, started uh, churning out their own version of that headset that they call the Meta Quest, um, and they started putting out a headset, a VR headset, at a price that was a loss to them because they're such a big company, just like Amazon for a long time, they were able to make that investment and they're putting it in people's houses for less than the price of a PS5 or a new Xbox. And so now all of a sudden, especially during the pandemic, people are like, I was one of them. We're like, let's I'll try it out. You know, I just got this check from the government and I'm, I have food. So yeah. maybe I get a fucking headset and do something with that. And it was a great move because it got a lot more people involved in that. And you have to get people in large numbers involved in these big things, or they'll never get the money to be cool and to be great. And I think this move from Apple to make an announcement of our first headset is going to be $3,500 is weird. Like, yeah. who are you talking to? You're just trying to piss off everybody. Like, sounds cool. I guess we'll, Find out what Reese Witherspoon thinks of VR. We'll read about it on her Instagram or some shit. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. You, like, go ahead. Uh, were you going to ask me what I thought about it? No, I want you to finish what you're about to say. I, I was just going to say that I think ever since the, you know, the early headsets were coming out, the sentiment was like, you know, Apple's going to make one of these at one point. It's going to be like the fucking best one ever. Um, but I think, you know, they may have done that, but it's, it's like, it's ready. The meal is ready before people have an appetite. So Reese Witherspoon might eat it. Um, right. And we'll have to hear about how great it is from rich people. Cause that's how that works. When you put something on the market, that's like yeah. the third of a price of a car yeah. and like <laughs> expect anyone Dude. to find it accessible. No one's going to get this thing. Yeah, the whole medium, man, such complicated, like conflicting thoughts between like knowing the power of a medium, but knowing how it's being implemented in the marketplace right, right. now. But And that's why VR and theater are going to save each other because it's going to give the VR something to actually do. Because if you're not a gamer right now, you're like, what the fuck would I buy one of those headsets? Yeah. Well, you can sit front row at Hamilton. You can sit front row at Book of Mormon. You can sit front row at the Knicks. You could sit front row, you know, at all these different things, UFC, and you could feel the cage rattle right in front of your face when he throws them up. Yeah. Like, bro, that's the shit we need to triple down on. And then the the money for like games and shit will be easy because we'll have millions of tickets sold to sit. And here's the thing: this is my theory too. You use this later. I'm giving this shit out for free because I don't fucking do this for a living. My theory is, you know what you really do. You sell um, experiences, not just what you're at, but who you're next to. So you're mm. you're at the Knicks, but you're Watching next Knicks to Jay Z. Got it. That's and dope. my theory on the theater thing too is, and you pay him one day. You know he's going to be there anyway. You just give him an extra fucking thing to sit next to a camera instead of sitting next to like. You know, whoever the fuck he was going to bring. Beyonce. Yeah. B's on the other side. No, B's on the other side. That's part of the ticket. Of course. But, uh, but you know, you just take that one chair out and pop a little fucking thing there. And you got 10,000 people in that seat. And you do the same thing in the theater where it's like you don't empty it and just put a bunch of snowball mic looking things on a stick around the whole room. It's like 
real person, real person, real person, camera, real person, real person, real person. So the actors are still getting the feedback of the live audience. The audience that are virtual, 10,000 people in each one of those little cameras, they are getting the experience of a room full of other real people. Because that's the balance that's fucked up right now is when you go see one of these fake concerts, there's no real audience. There's a bunch of other little avatars popping around and headset noise. And uh, it you got to make it feel like you're at the fucking theater in as many ways as possible. And that means not having a little cartoon version of yourself going like this. And but no, that doesn't help. That doesn't feel yeah. real. Um, But I really think I really think if those two things can come together, man. It's it's commerciability for both. And they need it. They both need it. So you get to work and then I'll hit you up in like a year and you let me know how that's going. Sounds good, Rob. Gosh, Trent, thank yeah. you so much for talking to me, man. I know we got to wrap it up, but this has been a blast. Yeah, thank you. I uh, I look forward to hearing all the other episodes you do. Loved Sophia's. I'm going to see her in a week. So She's the best, right? Yeah, it's great. Well, thanks for all you do, man. Hey, man, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate all that you're doing. I think it's really cool, important work. And, uh, you know, yeah, we'll definitely, you're somebody I can't wait to, you know, we'll take a little time, then we'll come back and 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 talk to you, check in with you, see how all this is going, because you're really on the forefront of something cool here, man. Thank you, Rob. And uh, thanks to Stephen, too. Oh, of course, the 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 great and powerful Stephen Cop. Couldn't do the show without him. I needed to say his name more often while we're doing it. But um, absolutely. Uh, we'll all be in, I, this episode's probably going to be out afterwards, but we're all going to be... Uh, they're in person for the homecoming thing that we're they're doing there. Um, so we'll report back to everybody how it went. Um, but hopefully in the future, and the reason I even bring it up, because I haven't been there yet, and if you're listening to this, I've already been there, is because I think in the future we'd like to be a part of it uh, in a more big way. Um, there was talks about maybe doing some stuff. Uh, we'll certainly be there and we're going to be doing some of our own, uh, independent media and uh, doing some on-campus interviews and stuff. We've got some stuff planned. We're really excited about, but I'm hoping in the future that it, you know, I don't know if I'll go every year, but like definitely, you know, being there on a regular basis to kind of be a part of the whole festivities as at the elephants. So, um, if you're fans of the show, uh, please, please stay tuned to updates about that because um, we could be doing more and more stuff in the Winston-Salem area and we'll let you know. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Thank you, Rob. <laughs>